0: The whiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn, so down on the corner the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially
1: Willie, and the Duke. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome on back to Baseball History 101. As always, I'm Patrick Duvall. I'm joined by Matthew Carter.
2: Hello. Um,
1: on uh, this episode, we're going to discuss Mo Vaughn. Many of y'all know, rec- recognize the name, even if you don't know much about him. Um, you know people our age bracket and older are definitely going to remember the name Mo Vaughn. And as Matt and I were talking about, he didn't really get the name recognition that he deserved as a, as a ball player because of the people he was playing against and competing against, especially at his position. Um, but he was a first baseman. He uh, started His MLB debut was in 1991 for the Bo Sox, and was, he uh, played there from 91 to 98. And then he was in Anaheim for 99 to 2000, which is really where I remember his name from. Because I think that was prime me and you starting to have the memory to remember these ballplayers we were watching. Yeah, that put I, us right around a ten year old age.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think I remember at least at that time, move on more as an angel than I did as Red Sox. Back when the Angels wore those
1: sweet uh, old like throwbacks now, but the Angels were, across the chest with the wing coming off the A. Those yeah, jerseys. and the pin stripes. You know, yep. I mean, it was, those were good. Those were good jerseys. That was that time period where vest jerseys were cool. Yes, and then they had that yeah. once that one year where they played with the half sleeve jerseys, which I they should have never done. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, well, um, that's that's another
2: subject for another time.
1: <laughs> that'd be a cool episode, <laughs> is jerseys. Yeah, just iconic jerseys. Um, and they finished his career yeah. with the Mets in 2003, two thousand three, two two thousand two to two thousand three. Um, so two there was a gap year in his career of uh, two thousand one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it. Yeah. But he's a three-time All-Star, which those guys we've talked about on the show that are ten-time All-Stars. But you just got to remember, you're playing against professional ballplayers just to make the All-Star team one time. That sets you apart. He was the mm-hmm. AL MVP in 1995. He also won the Silver Slugger and led the AL in RBIs that season. And he's a member of the Boston Red Sox Hall of Fame. And to be a Hall of Famer at the Red Sox as long as they've been around, that's saying something.
2: Yeah, I mean Bill Spaceman Lee, he's a member of the Red Sox Hall of Fame. So there's that. <laughs> so you're saying we might get move on in a bananas uniform. I like where your head's at. <laughs> you know, I can see it happen. I mean, if he wants to do it, if Jesse Cole's willing to let him do it. So <laughs> I think I think Spaceman gets to do it because Spaceman is
1: a little bit out there.
2: Yeah. And he's still pitching like even outside the bananas in his like how hard how hard is he throwing now? I'm sure they got a radar. Game. It It's not very fast. He, he, he It seems like he throws an EFIS pitch. It's more like I, – I want to say it's like somewhere in the 70-80 range. But I can probably still throw you a bender too. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, he can still throw, but – Did you get to see him pitch last weekend when you were down here? I did. I saw him pitch. He pitched one inning, and he did well. So, that was good.
1: That's awesome that he's still getting outs against these young young cats at his age.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, it just, <laughs> that takes talent, no matter how old you are. Did you go you know? to both games or just the um, Rickwood game? I just went to the game at Rickwood because, yeah. I mean, it would have been cool to go to the one in regions. But I was like, no, man, Rickwood's where it's at. You know, which exciting news, you know, the Giants and the Cardinals are going to play a game at Rickwood next year. Yeah, good luck getting so tickets. That, yeah, that's going to be insane. Um, I'm hope
1: I'm hoping I'm able to snag some through work, but we couldn't even get any through work for this banana, so I don't see it happening. Yeah, but and I've been on a wait care. list for bananas and never got an email about it because they sold out before the wait list people to all the people that bought them in previous years. Wow!
2: Yikes! I'm sorry, man. Yeah, they'll be back next year. Yeah, maybe they will come to maybe we'll come to the trash panda stadium too next year. I see it being a growing thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like this. Yesterday, they played in Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Indian Stadium. And they and that stadium sells like 15,000. And they sold that stadium out. And it was like the biggest crowd. As of right now, it's the biggest crowd to ever see a Savannah Manez game played. 15,000 plus people. And it's probably you an know? attendance record for that minor league team. I'll I'll probably say so, too. I mean, I'm sure the Indians sell well, but. You know, it, when the bananas are there, it's like, bam! everybody's got to be there. It's the hottest ticket in town, you know, when they show up in your town.
1: Yeah, and it's a love-hate thing with them, too. Either you love it or you hate it. Like, a lot of old-school baseball heads I've talked to are like, eh, not for me, but it's like it's like the Harlem Globetrotters, too, like, it, compared to basketball. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people probably want to go watch the Lakers, but this is also fun, and it makes baseball fun, and I think it's good for the game.
2: I think so, too. Absolutely. I mean, like baseball's always been fun and you can't just play a straight baseball game and expect people to show up. you got to have some excitement to it. Some never before seen like you don't know what you can see in a bananas game because it's just so spontaneous and so out there. You know, you just don't know what to expect. You know, I didn't know. I never know what to expect either last year or this year when I went. Yeah, so, they're always coming up with new gimmicks. Yeah, like last year, the stilts guy didn't play, but this year he did, so I got to see him bat. So that was cool, you know.
1: Dude, I saw a video the other day. Man stroked a, what should have been a double in the gap, but you're on oh, stilts, yeah. so it's a single. Like to even yeah. to even hit a baseball on stilts, or even be able to walk on stilts.
2: It's it's a feat. It's a you know it takes practice, and uh, this guy obviously has done this for a while, so. And he can make it work playing baseball. I want to see him play first base. Could you imagine the, that would, stretch, on, could you imagine the stretch on that guy? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I hope he doesn't do the splits, man. That, oh, man.
1: You have to throw it in the air. You ever throw him, it's a free base?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And just hope that the, the runner doesn't trip over his stilts and make him fall. That wouldn't be good, you know. But I had a great time. and It was sold out as always, and – you know, and I saw my friend Will Malone there, so that was nice. Got to see him. I haven't seen, seen him seen in, in a while. Yeah, he lives near me, and i, I have reckon seen, I've
1: se- I probably haven't seen him since I guess freshman year of high school.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, him and I went to the same church. Like our families go to the same church, and we just I know each other. I know him for at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so we keep in touch. But so we, we played scene. ball. we played ball together back in the day? Oh yeah, I mean, Will could ball back in the day, but he, he, was was a good, he was a good pitcher. Yeah, but he was just more interested in band, I guess. And hey, different strokes, yeah. different folks, man.
1: When we have, when we all started getting to that high school age, everybody
2: year by year, less and less people were playing ball. Yeah, you know, but it's all good. And just, I had a great time. My dad and my brother Josh had a great time. I mean, just, you know, I, it's just never a dull moment with the bananas, and if. Anybody can, you know, if any of our listeners are interested and can try to get tickets next year, I would highly recommend you do it. So, yeah, or if you got <laughs> the money to buy them on resale, but they were reselling the
1: ones for down here for like 220 bucks or something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. and, and bananas they, they hate, just the bananas hate that they hate that doing that, but it's like, well, what you can't really stop them,
1: you know? <laughs> There's <are> certain bands
2: <laughs> that have figured out how to do it. Like oh, they
1: yeah. sell it through their own website, and only you can.
2: Yeah, because Ticketmaster's right. like screwed everybody over, at least like with fees and whatnot, hidden fees and all that. So they're just like, well, I think Ticket, they're a monopoly and they can do what they want. And that's the.
1: Yeah. I read some of it. It's them and um, Live Nation as far as concerts go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And guess who owns Ticketmaster? Live Nation.
2: Live Nation. Yeah. So
1: it's like so. what people were paying for those Food Fighter tickets when saw them a couple weeks ago. I got mine on pre sale for 60 bucks a piece. People sitting around us, one row from the back of the amphitheater, paid quadruple that. Shoot. On resale. On resale. Yikes.
2: Yeah. But um, I know, like, the band, The Cure, I think they were just not thrilled how Ticketmaster was doing things. and So I think they they did something to screw over Ticketmaster. I forgot what they did. I know a lot of over. people that went and saw them
1: in Atlanta last week
2: or earlier so, this like, week. One. The, the Cure? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they good I think film. it was Atlanta. I I could, I, I never really got into their music, but like you know, I respect their place in rock and roll history, right? Yeah, but um, anyway, let's get back to Mo on. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, our listeners at this point don't care as long as we talk about baseball. So, right? Um, unless, we, unless we get an email saying stop talking about the subject, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah, be all right. As long as we pronounce the names right, we're good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so he um, attended New Canaan Country, Country School in uh, New Canaan, Connecticut, where he played baseball, and uh, in New York, and he played college ball at Seton Hall. Um, I don't have too much information about his upbringing. Do you have anything on that?
2: Yeah. So it says on the Society of American Baseball Research's website on their... Saber for those of y'all at home. Yes, yeah, Saber. So, he was born on December fifteenth, nineteen 1967, in Norwalk, Connecticut. He was the youngest of three kids. Uh, both of his parents worked in education. His dad was assistant principal and football, co- football coach at Norwalk McMahon High School, and his mom was an elementary school teacher. Um, both his parents were athletic. Well, actually, his dad was athletic, and they met at Virginia Union University, which I believe is a D2 school. I think you and A played them once. Um, and his dad was a football and a basketball scar, a star. And his dad signed with the Baltimore Colts and was like the fourth African-American quarterback in NFL history, but a knee injury sent him to coaching and teaching. So athletics runs in the family in the Vaughn family, you know. And one thing is that his parents, you know, they were um they were very, his, well, his real name was Maurice. Maurice Samuel Vaughn, that's his full name. And and his parents were you know, just very charitable people. Like, for example, like, you know, Mo uh, remembered, like, you know, years later he remembered, we would go with our parents every year to distribute gifts and to visit the homeless. Giving back to the community was sewn into the fabric of Vaughn's upbringing. And he said, it was something that was his that was an important part of their Christmas tradition. And we, the children were always a part of it. So like, you know, as we can discuss later on, Mo Vaughn and his family were just very charitable people. They thought of ways of giving back to the needy and so on and so forth, the the less fortunate. So, and you'll, and you know, as we'll talk about later, it's something that he, you know, is just part of his upbringing. It's part of who he is, his character, you know? So I think that's, I think it's really cool. You know, This guy he just said he just seems like a selfless guy, you know? So, but, um, you know, and so like, and he grew, and thing is, it's like, you know, his mom, his mom taught him to bat left-handed. So that's cool. <laughs> and sure, like, his he, mom he, did it. Yeah. His mom did it, you know? And, um, when he was playing little league, he was so feared in little league that opposing coaches advised their pitchers to walk him because he, you know, he was just becoming a big, burly preteen. And I they disagree
1: played. with intentional walks at that age. I,
2: I agree, agree too. You know,
1: <laughs> maybe if you're like in the little league world series or something, but
2: not like in a regular little league game. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's just something like he just, you know, even at a young age, people are like, oh man, I don't want, to, I don't want him to go yard on me. I don't want him to get a hit. I will will walk in so I can avoid the embarrassment of, you know, they're they're treating him like he was Barry Bonds, basically, you know. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, and so, you know, he went to Trinity High, as we talked about, he went to Trinity High School in Pauling New York. He was a 12-letter varsity athlete in baseball, basketball, and football, and his high school coach, Miles Hubbard, gave him the nickname Mo. So, that's where Mo comes from. He's from his high school coach. Mm-hmm. And so, now and then, so now he goes to Seton Hall. And, like, you know, he's on a team with, like, Craig Biggio. He goes, went to Seton Hall as well. And, uh, and also, like, two other future major leaguers, John Valentin and Kevin Morton. I mean, like, you know. Three he, was, those... he
1: wound up being teammates with John Valentin
2: In Boston, which that's got to be
1: cool. Guy you play ball with and then you end up in the show together. Yeah, that doesn't happen very
2: often, you know. So that's really cool. And he just, you know, he just separated himself. Like he stood out as even as a freshman in his first year. He earned All-American and Big East Rookie of the Year recognition when he batted 429 and set a Seton Hall record of 28 home runs that season. And he was easily named the MVP of the conference tournament when he batted 500 with seven home runs to lead the Pirates to the championship game. So I guess they made it to the conference championship, but I believe they lost. But still, it didn't matter. It's like, dude, he had a great year. He was kick he was showing off as a freshman. He was making a name for himself. He's like, hey, I belong playing college baseball. You know, I earn, I'm earn. i earning this starting position, you know, in the, in the lineup. And a lot of times in college, freshmen don't even really – unless they're just a stud play. Right, so, I mean, he – obviously, he impressed his his uh, coaches at Seton Hall. And so, his hall, for his career at Seton Hall, he hit 416, which was um, – he hit 416 and he broke the school records for home runs in, you know, in a career with 57, and you know, RBIs with 218. And he also, during his time, played summer collegiate league ball in the Cape Codley for the Wareham Gateman. And in 2000, he was named a member of the inaugural class of the Cape Cod Baseball League Hall of Fame. So he's in the Red Sox Hall of Fame, the Cape Cod Baseball Hall of Fame. So he may not be in the Cooperstown, but he's in some Hall of Fames. I mean, this guy could play, you know. (laughs) And um, he got drafted in 1989, uh, 23rd overall. So he got drafted in the first round by the Boston Red Sox.
1: Another, and- another thing about his time at Seton Hall um, mm-hmm. he was a member of uh, he was a, a Q-Dog there in uh, what's that fraternity? Uh Omega Sci-Fi? If I get it wrong people will be mad at me um, and their, let me see Q-Dogs um, yeah Omega Sci-Fi it's a uh, one of the divine nine African-American fraternities and their mascots, the dog. And he was the hit dog. That's where he got that nickname. That's awesome.
2: (laughs) You know? And so he, and so he gets, that's, that's awesome. So he goes Mo and hit dog. Those are just two good, two good nicknames, you know? And so he gets drafted by the uh, Boston Red Sox. In the day nine draft, 23rd overall. And I'm like, you know. And he signed on June 20th of that year by their scout, um, Matt Sesny, S C Z E S N Y. That's a unique name. And he originally wore the number 42 to honor his senior hall coach, Nick Bowness, who told him that if he wanted to wear Jackie Robinson's number in the majors, he needed to remember the weight of its history. So this is before Major League Baseball retired 42 for everybody, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, you know, he he goes to – he goes to A New Britain for the New Britain Red Sox. In his first 73 games as a pro, he homered eight times and batted 278 with a 350 on base percentage. And he struck out twice uh, – nearly twice as many times as he walked, which that was – that's going to be a trait for his career. Which, if you're a slugger, that's going to happen. I mean, you know, yeah. you're you're like when all the big sluggers are just going to strike out a lot, for the most part. Um, his first full season in in pro ball in the majors, I'm sorry, in the minors, and I'm going on uh, the Society of American Baseball Research's um, bio on him was in 1990. He was with the AAA Pawtucket Red Sox. And he batted 295 and finished fourth in the International League in home runs with 22 and RBIs with 72. And he returned to Pawtuck at 91, but he was called up to the Red Sox after hitting 14 home runs and 50 RBIs in 69 games. That'll do so it. He, I'm sorry, what? That'll do it. Yeah, that's going to get you. <laughs> if that doesn't get you called up, I don't know what will, you know. Um And so he made his Major League debut on June 27, 1991, as a starting first baseman against the New York Yankees. His first plate appearance, he walked, and he followed with a pop-out and a strikeout. His first hit in RBI came the next day off Todd Furworth of the Baltimore Orioles. And then on June 30th, he hit his first Major League home run off Jeff Robertson of the Orioles. And so, you know, he's off to a good start, but... On August 24th of that year, he got into a fiscal altercation with veteran Rick Sox outfielder Mike Greenwell, Greenwell during batting practice, which, you know, and this is interesting. What started as a good-natured taunting erupted into punches when Vaughn challenged Greenwell to punch him, then insulted Greenwell for going into the batting cage rather than hitting him. After the rookie, being Vaughn, pushed Greenwell into the side of the batting cage, teammate Jack Clark pulled Vaughn off. Both players remained in the lineup after manager Joe Morgan sent them to the clubhouse to talk it out. And and because this Vaughn wasn't disciplined, perhaps since it was Greenwell's second altercation of the season, but his reputation as a tough guy was taking shape. And as uh, Greenwell said later, he was a kid. I've watched him grow up and mature. It shows in his game because he's gotten better every year. So, you know, none of them got suspended. They just – the manager said, "Go to the clubhouse and talk out your differences." And there was probably a level of respect
1: gain there too, because you're the rookie. I'm not gonna let you push me around because I'm the rookie. Like,
2: yeah, I mean,
1: there was yeah. probably some words that start with a P thrown around, and for not mm-hmm. for not throwing a punch. And that that statement about how he watched Mo grow says that there was respect gain, if mm-hmm. not that day, definitely over the course of their career playing together.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, if this was like the old days, the rookie would have been sent back to the minors and maybe never come back to majors again. But because this was 1991 mm-hmm. and in more modern times, you're like, look, go talk out your differences in the clubhouse. I'm not dealing with this, you know. <laughs> you're men. <laughs> just deal with it, you know. But, um, and, you know, for his first year in the majors, 91, he finished with a good, a decent 260 average. With four home runs and 219 at bats, and then um, you know, so he it was a good, a good, decent rookie year. I would say so. You know, what do you think, Patrick? You think it be? You think it was decent? For it'll pass. Rookie? It'll pass. Yeah, I mean, he's it's, it's not. He's doing well. I mean, he's not. Uh, he's not like the Reds, L E Dela Cruz, who's just like That guy. Pace. He's
1: got to fizzle out, doesn't he? You can't just yeah. sustain that. that guy mean, he's is
2: been... raking. Yeah, he's just he's he's he already hit for the cycle. I mean, my goodness, you know. He's no, we were in...
1: looking at it the other day. Me and my boss um,
2: were having a beer
1: after work, and the Reds and Braves were playing the day game. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me pull him up real quick. His stats are stupid. Um, it's... and it was like the day after he hit it for the cycle, or. A few days after it. Mm-hmm. So his war is only 0. 0.7, but through 88 at bats, he's got 27 hits, three homers, batting 307. And he's putting up some power numbers too. Um, let's see. Yeah, he's got six doubles and two triples. Wow. 12, or 12 ribbies. He's not bad for 21 games.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's only been up for a month, and he's just doing—he's just doing great. Oh, he's so, stolen nine bases too. And he's already stolen. He can connect. fly. He can fly. I mean, that's—he's great. He's
1: nine nine for ten on stolen bases.
2: That's that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody I, I, will I,
1: ever catch Ricky's record, but
2: you know that's is Ricky-esque. It, he's off to a great start. Let's just say that. <laughs> you know, maybe he'll get to like. Five, yeah, I, depending on how he's healthy and, you know, stays doing what he's doing, he could probably get to, like, 400, 500 career stolen bases, you know, yeah, if he keeps just doing it. It doesn't fizzle out like Billy Hamilton because, like, Billy Hamilton could steal bases, but that man could not hit worth the same his life. Like, his lifetime bay average is terrible, you know. I would say – and he could – he you know, Billy Hamilton could have, like, more steals – could have had more steals in his career, instead of like the three hundred, whatever it is, if he just got on base more, and just got you can't hits more. Steal a base if there's no bases to be stolen. Exactly, and it's just like so frustrating to you know have his have that guy's career fizzle out like that. But um, you know, so ninety two, he you know Vaughn broke spring training as the Red Sox starting first baseman, but you know. In April, he only hit two oh four with two home runs. And then on May 8th, they sent him back to Pawtucket, and, which did the trick for him because the 39 games with Pawtucket that year, he hit .282 and hit six home runs. And he came back to the Red Sox lineup on June 22nd. But he, you know, growing pains because it's the sophomore slump. You know, this is his second year. He hit uh, two thirty four. And hit 13 home runs and had three twenty six on base percentage. But after that, they never sent him back down to the minors. You know, it's he came he came back to the majors to say. Even the, you know, so yeah, the two thirty four, that's a disappointment. But, you know, the Red Sox, they're just like, Yeah, he's obviously no, he he does what he's doing. You know, he's he's proven himself. Yeah, you know. And then
1: that shows in 1993. Um, in 93, he became the centerpiece of the lineup with 29 homers and 101 RBIs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think he, I think he hit 297. and he was 18th in MVP voting. Which 18th? That doesn't matter. Um, yeah. He struck out. He also struck out 103 times, the first of nine straight years where he struck out 100 times. Yeah, so he, was, he was good for he was good for almost one a game.
2: Yeah. Um, oh
1: he, yeah, and off the field, he did a lot for the community in Boston I frequently visited the Children's Hospital, and um, he even developed a special bond with an 11-year-old cancer patient named Jason Leader. And uh, one in April, when they're playing Anaheim, he promised to hit a home run for him, and he came through with a deep fly to center field off of Ken Patterson in the seventh inning. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely Babe Ruth-esque, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was the year where Boston had a little bit of hope because they had, uh, as I mentioned earlier, his teammate John Valentin and uh, all-star third baseman Scott Cooper. There was a, the, it was the first time they weren't mediocre in a long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and obviously, we know the story of the Boston Red Sox. How that panned out, they obviously didn't get the job done.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, but it's okay. And so the next year, ninety-four, you know, in the strike shortened season ninety four, which we've already discussed and we don't really need to go any further, because everybody knows about the ninety-four strike, I think. Um, he fit Vaughn finished seventeenth of MVP voting. And when play stopped, he was hitting three ten with twenty six home runs and a four oh eight on base percentage in over four hundred and sixty three of play appearances. Um, and, and you know, the Clubfish 500, which again, this is the night, you know, early 90s Red Sox, they're not going anywhere. They weren't the 94 Expos who were leading the NL East. And then the strike happens, you're like, oh man. Yeah, could yeah. have been something. Could have been something that could have stayed in Montreal. A lot of people think that as we discussed, they the Expos could have stayed in Montreal if the ninety four strike didn't happen, you know. But we'll never but know. But again, you'll never we'll never know. It's a what if. But of course, ninety five, this was Mo's big year. You know, this is his coming out year, his MVP season. Yo, know, he hit he hit even three hundred with thirty nine home runs and drove in an RB hundred and twenty six RBIs. Which was the only time this crew topped the circuit in a major category, but still, you know, you, if even it, it was only once, you still top it. You know, you were you led the league in something, you know, and um, he makes the all star team. I'm you know, and he made the all star team that year. Um, but he had some off the field scuffle. Uh, he was at a club in Boston called the Roxy, and he was in in a brawl. And apparently, you know, the manager of the Red Sox defended Vaughn, saying he was assaulted, he was protecting his girlfriend, and he was assaulted. You're talking about one of the better human beings I've been around. So pe- I guess people were just like, you know, people were like, What is this guy doing in the club? You know, is he causing trouble? But from what his point of view was, somebody was causing trouble on him, or somebody's insulted his girlfriend or something like that. He was trying to, you know, he, he it didn't seem like that he was the one that caused the the, the scuffle. And he suffered a Bruce left eye and missed two games because of that. But, um, you know, when he came back, you know, two days later, Fenway Park fans showered him with support when he returned to the lineup. So the Red Sox faithful backed him up, even though in spite of this, they, still, they had his back, you know, which was big. Fans will forgive a lot if
1: you uh, can hit a baseball.
2: That's true. Or, you know, or any sport, or, score touchdowns or whatever, you know. And that's that's <laughs> not even saying he was in the wrong
1: or anything, but.
2: No, but they're very, you
1: know, they can be very forgiving. Sports is a what have you produced for me lately
2: mentality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that year the Red Sox made the playoffs, but they got, uh, they got swept by the Cleveland Indians who would win the AL pennant that year in the divisional series. And he, he didn't have a great uh, postseason that year. He went hitless in 14 at-bats with seven strikeouts. Half of his at-bats were strikeouts. And, um, you know, after the series, he said, I didn't do my job. And just shoving the weight of his team on him, basically said, hey, I just didn't do my job. I And then the next month he won the MVP voting. He beat out, you know, Apparently, it was controversial because he beat out players who had arguably, be be- arguably better seasons, like Albert Bell, and even his own and even his own teammate, John Valentin. Uh, it says the award likely owed something to Vaughn being arguably the first Black athlete wholly embraced by the city of Boston, and a city marked by racist past. But I'm like, dude, we could just play. I mean, I don't think it has anything to oh, do. With and that. people forget this about the MVP award, part of the
1: voting on that is who means the most to their team and community also. It's mm-hmm. not who is the best player,
2: but it's who means the most to their team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he also, I think that season, he also, he, he clearly became, he has clearly become the face of the franchise, of the Red Sox. And he received the Barge Award for community service. Because again, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, he has that spirit about him. He just likes to give, he, he just loves giving back to people, just helping out people when he can, you know? And then, you know, 96, you know, he gets off to a hot start in 96 by blasting 20 home runs by May 31st. He makes his second All Star game appearance. At this time, he was voted to the starting lineup by the fans. So he gets to start in the All Star game. And, you know, he's he's getting this reputation as – he's is a respected reputation as one of the most activity hitters in baseball. But, again, you know, the Red Sox, you know, that year, like I said, the 96 Yankees, you know, were just a much better team. And, of course, the Orioles in that same division, too, were pretty good as well. They both made the playoffs that year. Um, And just, you know. 96, then last the year before, he hit 326 with career highs and home runs with 44, RBIs at 143, and on base precision with 420, and he finished fifth in the MVP voting that year. Um, so that's interesting. And then, of course, the next year, the first Jackie Robinson Day, and Vaughn, because Jackie Robinson was his hero, he said. It should be celebrated every year. I say it all the time. It should be a national holiday. We can do what we can do because of this man. And, uh, you know, the next season, Robinson was retired, but players that were already wearing it could do so, and Vaughn was one of those people. Vaughn was one of those players that was grandfathered into the, you know, you could wear 42 after this was already retired, and he was the last African-American player to wear number 42. And, of course, as we all know, Mariano Rivera was the last one to wear 42. So that's pretty cool, you know? And then he's more off the field stuff. That year in July, he was accused of punching somebody in the doorway of a Cleveland strip club. You know, Von denied it, saying, that doesn't bother me. Legal fees don't bother me either. I just want to get it cleared up. They swore he never saw the guy and that he and his friends were not even in the club. But an adjacent business that shared a parking lot, and he said, "If I was the type of person who was always out bringing fights to people, that's what you would expect." Vaughn said, "It's not my style, not my not my style, my intent mentality. I kind of regard myself as an easygoing guy, like anyone else. But you can't live in a box either. So, I mean, just it just seemed like he was just guilty by association. Like they just some guy got punched, and the guy thought it was Mo Vaughn, even though Mo Vaughn. And at the club, he was next door, you know. Yeah, well, I don't know what to say about that, man. It's just <laughs> you get punched by a guy that may or may not have been Mo Vaughn, and you think it's Mo Vaughn, so you're trying to sue the guy, and it's, it, it's just a mess, man. I mean, you just don't know. Some you, you just don't know. We weren't there, we just don't know, you know, <laughs> right? These days, these days, there'd be a cell phone video of it, yeah. Somebody'd be like filming it like secretly, and then you could tell if that was Mo Vaughn or not. But back in '97, nobody had smartphones. You know, I don't think anybody had any camcorders, you know, with them at the club either. So, like, who knew? It could have just been some random dude, you know, that looked like Mo Vaughn punching the guy. (laughs) It's just something else, man. Anyway, um, you know, and, of course, no more Garcia Parra. That was his rookie year. He was rookie of the year that year. And, you know, they still weren't great as a team. But uh, that year, you know, some of his numbers declined from 96, but he had some highlights, like on May 30th, he had three home runs against the Yankees at Fenway, which was his second time in two seasons that he did that, which was the last time his career, too. He struck out 154 times, which was bad, and exceeded the 150 whiffs for the third straight season, which, again, as we talked about, he's a slugger. He's going to strike out a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. And this was his... He also made the third, his third and last All Star team that year, and um, you know they made the playoffs as a wild card, but they were defeated in the divisional series by the Indians, which you know again it's the Indians. There's 97 Indians. They're going to beat you bad. Um, in game one of that season, in game one of that series against the Indians, which was Boston's only win in the series. Vaughn collected two home runs, a double, and seven RBIs. And in over 17 series of bats he had another double in bat at 412 with a 444 on base. You know, in 19... oh, yeah, so like in 1998, the Red Sox, so Roe Vaughn in 1998, he makes his third final All-Star team. You know, he hit three home runs in, uh, against the Yankees on May 30th at Fenway. And then in a, if they made the playoffs as a wild-card team, but they lost to the Cleveland Indians. And in game one of the series, which was Boston's only win, Mo Vaughn collected two home runs, a double, and seven RBIs. And in over 17 bats in that series, he had another double and batted 412 with a 444 on base percentage. So he did much better than his previous playoff appearance in 95. You know, he was a good, you know, he helped his team the best he could, but they just couldn't beat those Indians because, you know, the Indians of the mid to late 90s were just a great team, great teams, you know. Uh, but that offseason, the 98 off season, Vaughn was one of the most coveted free agents of baseball, and on November 28th, 1998, he signed a six-year, $80 million contract with the Anaheim Angels, making him the game's highest-paid player to date. In the LA Times announcement of the deal, they focused first on Vaughn's exterior rather than his accomplishments on the field. Saying, Moe Vaughn is an, an opposing six-foot-one, 240-pound first baseman with barrel-like biceps, a shaved head, goatee, tattoo, and earrings. He was a perpetual scowl that could turn stone to powder. He is no stranger to controversy and is generally considered a menace to opposing pitchers. Thus began his two difficult seasons in Southern California. And so, you know, the '99 season is his first season with the Anaheim Angels. On the first play of his first game with the new team, Vaughn chased a foul ball into the visitors' dugout and twisted his ankle. He appeared to aggrav- aggravate the injury the following half inning, but remained in the game until he was pulled in the sixth. The injury haunted him throughout the campaign. He missed 23 games that season, the most he had, the most he had missed since he had become a regular. And his 33 home runs were the lowest non strike total of the night since 1993. Uh, His lowest non strike season total since 1993. And stats declined to lows, you know, 70 year lows with like 281 batting average, 358 on base percentage, and 508 slugging. But still a decent season in spite of you being injured and missing 23 games. I mean, I think a lot of players, like let's say Joey Gallo, would kill to have these stats, you know? <laughs> I mean, you love I mean, picking on him. I I can't do. It. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Like, I thought he was doing a, he was doing so well at the beginning of the season with the Twins, and he just went back to being old Joey Gallo again, just whiffing. And they sent him down to, to AAA St. Paul, and I just don't know, man. I, I I'm just like, okay, let's let's use another one. How about Kyle Schwarber? Kyle Schwarber would kill to have those stat line to have that stat line. Right, because cause honestly, he's about as bad as Joey Gallo to an extent. You know, I hate to say that, but he's he's a, he's almost, if not about as bad as Joey Gallo in like just having a terrible batting average, but managed to hit like you know multiple home runs. You know, just t- just like what are you doing, Kyle? What are you doing? You know, and
1: he do- he always does clutch things
2: at weird times. He yeah, doesn't add up. Right. So that's, I mean, that's one of the main reasons the Phillies are keeping him in the lineup because even though he has a terrible bang average and he strikes out a whole bunch, he still manages to find ways to get clutch hits to win the game or help the team win the game, you know? So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> uh, if we have any Kyle Schwiller fans, I know I'm sure they'll email us and complain. He's a say, nice but, guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've
1: met him um, when I was working in Montgomery for the biscuits. He's a nice guy.
2: Oh yeah, because uh, was I guess was he playing for the Tennessee Smokies? Yeah, he was on a rehab stint. Okay, yeah, because they were they were, they were Cubs farm team. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I'm, yeah, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. Maybe I shouldn't make fun of him because he's in the majors. Well, in maybe, maybe
1: maybe if he hit better, we wouldn't. Right, as part yeah, of being in the big leagues. he's you're going to have some critiques. Right, him From people Joe, that can't do anything, what you do half as good as you. <laughs>
2: Right, you know, I mean, maybe him and Joey Gallo should take some batting lessons sometime, you know, and just worked out their differences and hit better for average, I guess. I don't know, and stop striking out as much. But um, back to Mo. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In, uh,
1: in August of 2000, he fell to a pop in his elbow, and he played through that for the remainder of the season. So after a year where an ankle injury cut into his production, he was determined not to have a second season fall flat due to do an injury. Um, it was originally thought to be tendonitis, but um, it turned out that his elbow tendon had torn away from his bicep muscle in two spots, so uh, surgeons at the Mayo Clinic used a portion of his Achilles tendon to reconnect the tendon of the muscle. The Angels finished above 500 but missed the playoffs for the 14th straight season. Um, he played all but one game. He had 36 home runs, 117 ribbies, yeah. but both figures were outside of the Major's top 20 and his average fell to .272 striking out 181 times. At that point, the seventh-highest single-season total in history. His uh, boomer bust approach to hitting proved to be a precursor for what was about to come in baseball. Yeah. We got into the steroid era, and it was a lot of guys. It was a long
2: ball or nothing. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, the next year, 2001, the Angels announced that he would have missed the season entire. They missed the entire season due to the nature and complexity of the surgery, the rehabilitation involved, and all the elements required to toward a full recovery from a repaired ruptured bicep. And then later that year, on December 27th, they traded him to the New York Mets for pitcher Kevin Appier. So Vaughn missed out on being with the Angels when they won the World Series in 2002. So, yeah, that's disappointing, but you know, the Angels were like, what are you doing for me? You're not doing anything for me this season. You sat out the whole season because, you know, you had to rehab your your ruptured bicep, you know. Yep, like so, we said
1: earlier, basically, are sports are what have you done for me
2: lately, lately business. Yep. And so the Wilpont family were like, sure, we'll take move on. Why not? <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, 2002, he was still hampered by nagging injuries. Even though he was still hampered by nagging injuries, he still had pop in his bat. One of his 26 home runs that season was a bomb that bounced off Shea Stadium's right center field scoreboard on June 26. Measuring at 505 feet, it was the longest home run of his career and one of the longest home runs ever recorded. And neither him nor the team gave fans much more to be excited about because the Mets finished last in the American League East while he hit, well, he played 139 games and hit just 259 with the .349 on base percentage. Which was which both his averages were his lowest in a decade. And then two thousand three, which was turning out to be his last season. Uh he left the Mets May second game in Milwaukee after six innings after after going 0 for three. He was batting one ninety with three homers in twenty seven contests when he was placed on the DL, the disabled list, which I think now is just called the injured list. Yeah, they keep tweaking that. Yeah, due to extensive ligament damage in his left knee. He sat out the rest of the year. Doctors have advised him that, it, that he risked disability if he continued to try to play. It's hard to talk to him, said his team and his friend and teammate, Tony Clark. It's a bitter pill to swallow. It's a bitter pill for him to swallow, which I think any athlete can tell you that. That is a bitter pill to swallow. You're a
1: competitor. You want to be competing.
2: Right. You want to go out there and play, and then, like, you know, you're – due to your body limitations, you're forced to call it a a career. Um, In early 2004, Vaughn confirmed that he would not play the following season. While he didn't officially retire, he said of a possible comeback. I don't see it coming down the line ever. The statement proved true. Vaughn never played again. And in parts of 12 seasons, you know, his career average was 293 with 328 home runs and 1,064 RBIs. Just to, you know, I mean, those are respectable just a respectable, um, respectable career average, uh, career numbers. You know, I mean, that's, you know, you know, you're not hitting below the Mendoza line. You're doing good. You, you've, you know, you've you've proved yourself to be a major leaguer for sure. You know, with those types of numbers. And of course, as we mentioned, as we talked about in the Mitchell Report episode, Vaughn was named in the in the Mitchell Report.
1: Not shocking. Into the, that
2: era, yeah. Two thousand seven, according to the report, he had been introduced to Kirk Radomski by fellow player glenn Allen Hill, which we also mentioned in the in the episode. Radomski recalled advising Vaughn to use human growth hormone hormone to aid his recovery from a chronic ankle injury. As evidence, Radomski provided Mitchell with three checks from Vaughn. That he alleged were used to purchase a total of five HGH kits. Radomski said he did not sell von steroids, explaining that he explaining that the player was afraid of the big needles. The report noted that von did not respond to requests for comment during the investigation. You know, he's just like I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, which honestly, that's not really a good look. But still, it's like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You <Yeah.
1: laughs> know, I think where me and you and Matthew are in kind of an agreement that everybody's statistics during that little stretch of time, for the most part, we can just—they were doing something. Most most guys, I'd be willing to bet.
2: Yeah, not everybody, so,
1: but I'm saying a large portion.
2: Yeah, which I'm sure most, if not all, at the time when they were doing it was legal.
1: Right. If there's a gray yeah. area I can use to get a competitive advantage, I'm going to take it.
2: Yeah. It, it's just proven, you know, athletes will find anything to get over the top, you know. Whether it be steroids or cheating or, you know, a gambling scandal or what have you, you know, they'll find a way to do it. hmm You
1: know? human, human the, beings are all about getting
2: ahead. Yep. Yeah. You're doing whatever it takes. But um, in 2008, he was inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. And the next year, he was eligible. I guess this was his first year on the ballot in Cooperstown. In 2009, he was considered for the for the Hall of Fame, which was his first year. But he received only six votes, which was 1.1%, well short of the threshold for induction and not enough to remain on future ballots. In that same year, his older cousin, Greg Vaughn, A four-time All-Star who had 355 home runs over 15 Major League seasons failed to receive a single vote. Yeah, that name sounds familiar from my childhood. I'm sure I had a baseball card of him, probably both of Mo and Greg Vaughn back in the day. And, of course, you know, post – I'm sorry, what? Oh, about Okay. But for the most – you know, post-retirement, Vaughn's just doing his community outreach stuff. Via organizations such as Omni New York, which acquires, builds, and rehabilitates distressed housing in the New York metropolitan area, excuse me, he also pursued business ventures, including a trucking company called Movon Transport and MVP Collections, a stylish clothing line for big and tall men on september 20, thousand and twelve a baseball field at Trinity Pauling High School renovated with a clay infield and irrigation system to help withstand the Northeast winter or Northeast weather was dedicated in Vaughn's name. And since 2000, he's been married to the former Gail Turkovich and they have a daughter, Grace and a son, Lee, and they reside in South Florida as of 2021. So, you know, it seems like he's just, he seems to be very successful, you know, outside of baseball with his, Community outreach ventures
1: yeah, and' it's important
2: been, it's important
1: for people like that to set up business opportunities for themselves also so that they can retire actually retire when they don't play a ball and not end up having to work
2: yeah you know and so I mean just you know I think you know out of out of all the players that have played major League baseball all the 20,000, 20 plus thousand or 20,000 plus players in major League baseball, you know, Mo Vaughn stood out, but as we've already discussed earlier in this episode, he was overshadowed in the era that he played by so many great players. As we mentioned, you know, I mean, we don't have to go through it again. Everybody knows, just so many great players in the '90s that you know, a guy like Mo Vaughn playing on a team that, for the on teams for the most part, weren't very good, with the exception of two seasons with the Red Sox, you know you're just going to get overshadowed. I mean, sure, you hit like 44 home runs one year, but you get like McGuire and Sosa and Griffey going like 50, 60, 70 home runs a season. You know, it's just, you're going to get overshadowed in that area you played. But I think that, you know, if Mo Vaughn was listening to this podcast, I think that um, I think that you know, he would appreciate us, you know, going back you know, going back and, and talking about him and you know, just, it's just good to be remembered, you know. I think, you know, it's just going to be remembered for playing ball
1: or just doing something, you know. He wasn't a Hall of Fame cover guy, but he was definitely a noteworthy guy in that time period.
2: Absolutely. So I guess would be a way to
1: sum that up, and I, I think he'd be willing to agree with that.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Just, you know, definitely worthy of his own episode, you know. Yeah, and he was – he was the victim of some untimely untimely injuries as well, but really. Yeah, but, you know, it those things happen. You know, injuries are going to slow you down. It's just hard to stay healthy for 162 games. And that
1: his, his career started five years later. And in that same time span, those 180 strikeout seasons, 130 strikeout seasons, aren't
2: going to be as scrutinized.
1: No. Because it became more of a norm.
2: Yeah, it's – You've got guys like striking out 200 times in a season, you know. And it just, it's, I mean, if I was Joe Sewell, who hardly ever struck out, I'd be just dumbfounded by how many people just struck out so much, you know. But it's just, that's just how it is. You know, you're going to get, you play 162 games, you're going to get lots of bats. Odds are you most play most batters in Major League Baseball. Unless you're like Luis they are going to strike out more than they walk. So, you know, let's see who's got the most strikeouts in
1: baseball right now. Hernandez in Seattle already has 108 strikeouts. Wow! Wow! And it's July. And that's in 80 games played. In 80 games, wow. Uh, 332 played appearances, 80 strikeouts. So that, Wait, that says... You mean 108, 108 strikeouts? 108. Okay, yeah. 108. 108, good Lord. That's just something else. So that's a strikeout every point seven four games. And let's see, it said 380 played appearances. 300, 306 at-bats. So, let's see.
2: This is wild.
1: So, that means every third, all over every third at-bat he's striking out. So, that makes Moa on strikeout numbers not look nearly as
2: bad by comparison. Absolutely. It makes it look normal for
1: sure.
2: <laughs> average. <laughs> average, Yeah. Average. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's all I really got to say about move Vaughn. Do you have anything else to add? I think we covered it. Yeah. I was just a, a good player playing in a very crowded uh, era of baseball trying to get, you know, fame and attention, but yeah, he was in played. that, he
1: was in that weird little four or five years. He's in that weird little 10-year stretch where it was, you know, just – he stood out, but he wasn't the pinnacle guy.
2: Yeah, you know. That's okay. Not everybody can be the pinnacle guy, you know. Just do your own thing and just, you know, you'll get your fame and fortune in one way or another. That's it. Yeah. So did somebody – Did somebody request move on? Did I forget? Or was this like something we were just thinking about? I think this one might've been
1: requested, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I think it might've been by by that gentleman who wanted to talk about all the Cardinal stuff.
2: Okay. Which we'll we'll
1: have to do some Cardinal stuff soon.
2: Yeah. So if it was requested, thank you for the suggestion. And of course, if you have any other, if anybody has any other topic suggestions, you can always reach us at BaseballHIS101 at gmail.com.
1: Dude, speaking of the Cardinals, they're putting it on the Yankees right now. That's great because they've not been having a good season. They're up 10 nothing in the bottom of the fifth right now. Good Lord. Man on where third,
2: did, no outs. Where has where this, off, where, where this offense been all season? I don't know. Well, you, you know, they played in uh, – they played in London last weekend against the Cubs. That's got to be tough, man, to travel
1: that much and play with this tough of a travel schedule these teams have. Anyway,
2: yeah, and just
1: jet lag going over there. Yeah, just, I'd almost you know, just
2: rather not. Somebody else could do that. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt, who plays for the Cardinals, he I saw somewhere on the Hall of Fame like he donated like his helmet or hat or something because he was like the first. Uh, first major league baseball player to play in, you know, MLB games in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, um, England, and there was somewhere else, too. There was a fifth country, Japan, maybe. Yeah, like he was the first. Yeah, I mean, I I saw it on, like, the Hall of Fame or something. And that's
1: just blind luck to set a record like that because you have to play on the right teams to be able to.
2: Yeah, this is not something that you just do. You know.
1: Yeah, it's not a success milestone. It's a I've played on multiple teams milestone. Yeah. And I've been around yeah. long enough to accomplish it.
2: Yeah, it was just wild. Like Paul Goldstein, like, well, you know, because not everybody can just um, can just go to different countries and play a major league baseball game. You know. Oh man. It was something. I'll have to find it. Because like he donated something, and then somebody else donated something. Oh, here we go. Yeah, played five different countries. USA, Australia, Mexico, Canada, and England. That's those are the countries. Wow, that's cool. That is so cool. I mean, good for him. You know. And he donated his hat that he wore in England to the Hall of Fame. So and then uh Ian half of the Cubs donated his batting gloves. To the Hall of Fame for hitting two home runs in the first game of the London series. I mean, it's cool that MLB is doing that. I, I just know. couldn't Maybe. imagine the travel as a, a player. Yeah,
1: thinking speaking of Paul Goldschmidt, he just no, nope, could catch. Thought he just ripped one in the
2: ripped one in the gap. RBI. Well, hey, and he made contact, so it's better to strike it now. So there you go. fly. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> gets those runs in somehow. So, but yeah, it's just you know, Mo Bon's great. Um, I'm sure there's other players in the nineties like Albert Bell who are just as good. And yeah, that's a get, good it's a
1: good comparison.
2: Yeah. They're just as good, or even Bobby Mania, you know, like we could do an episode some Bobby Speaking Munea. of happy Bobby Mania that he gets. Back. That, That's right. We're recording this on July 1st. So happy Bobby and a day.
1: (laughs) We got 12 more years of it, 11 more, 12 more years of it. Yeah.
2: So Steve, the greatest
1: greatest contract in the history of sports.
2: Oh yeah. His, his agent was a genius, (laughs) but that's all I got, man. That's all I got too. thank you all for listening. And you know, And we'll see you all all next time. I got nothing else to add. What about you, Patrick? I think I'm set. Good deal. All right.
1: As always, thank you guys for listening to Baseball History 101. And we'll see you next time. I'm Patrick Gavolt.
2: And I'm Matthew Carter.
0: Maurice against Paul Jarek has been up three times. He's had two hits. A walk, and a strikeout. Left-hander Paul Paul Spoljarek, S-P-O-L-J-A-R-I-C, is from British Columbia, now lives in Sharon, Ontario, but grew up in the western part of Canada. With Toronto and Seattle last year in 57 games, he was on 3.69 ERA. So he will face Mo. He's walking slowly to the plate. Mo got a big hand earlier today. He's been hit by a pitch and struck out three times. Mike Benjamin at third base. Nomar Garcia-Power representing the tying run is at second base. John Dalton representing the winning run is at first base. Moe facing the left-hander. Wind blowing hard toward right. Spoljarek wearing the full-length sweatshirt. The 6'3 left-hander sets. Here is the pitch to Moe. He takes a curve in there for a call strike, and he looks back in surprise at Sheeta, That's had some tough decisions to make in the ninth inning. Still nobody out. So is Peniela. Oh, no, the seventh man to bat here in the ninth. Is set by Spoljarek, and the pitch. Swung him as a drive to right field, deep down the line, right back! It is gone! A grand slam, and the Red Sox have won it, on a move Vaughn grand slam in the ninth inning! The Red Sox come up with seven runs in the ninth inning, capped by a Mo Vaughn grand slam, and Boston, with an incredible ninth inning rally, has won the opening game at Fenway Park, nine to seven. Can you believe it? Oh, is Mo Vaughn being mobbed? I've seen it, and I still don't believe it. The Red Sox send seven men to the plate and seven men score in the ninth inning as Mo Gaughan hit an 0-1 pitch from Paul Spogerich past the pesky foul pole into the grandstand. About 15 rows back and the Red Sox have pulled off a miracle at Fenway Park. An opening day miracle. They played well for five innings. Then it was a horror show for the next three, but in the ninth, the Red Sox come up with seven runs and beat Seattle 9-7. to seven. And this crowd, that uh, part of which stayed here anyway, is absolutely stunned. This is not meant to be sacrilegious, but this club in the ninth inning came back from the dead. This game was over and done when Randy Johnson was in there, but you talk about a comeback. This is un. Believable. The Mariners are still in their dugout, absolutely stunned. Many of them are not even moving. But Mo Vaughn with a walk-off grand slam. What a tremendous way to end this ball game. Hey, I got an idea. Tomorrow the pregame show, why don't you talk to Pinella <laughs> and his bullpen to get them all together? Unbelievable. It was a fastball that appeared uh, above the belt. And Mo turned on it and he got it all this this these people are still standing and cheering. This is truly excitement and they chant Mo I tell you what we've seen a lot of crazy finishes in this game and if you stay around long enough you see a lot of dramatic things. I can't remember anything more dramatic than this. The whole dugout was there to meet Mo at home plate everybody was gathered. To hug Moe as he hit a bomb into the right field grandstand. And the Red Sox have pulled off a miracle this afternoon. This is Moe's second walk-off home run in this ballpark. He got Troy Percival here last year to center field. And Moe pumps his fist in the air as he leaves the field. As he takes Spolgerich deep to right. You know, Joe, we don't see many home runs to that part of the ballpark during the course of the year. I don't think we'll see anything more dramatic than that.